Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dillian. Welcome once again to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. And this week, Chaz, we're putting on our platform shoes, and we're going disco dancing in the year 1978. Actually, in honor of Bowie, I'm going to go, you know, like, just look pretty normal and get mistaken for other people at the airport and stuff. Is that cool? You looked normal in 1978? Bowie, that is? Oh, yeah, just wait. Just wait. Really? Uh, Before we get into it. Normcore. Well, his music got weirder and his image got more normal. That's what somebody quipped somewhere in something that I read in the last two years. I don't remember. Uh, Before we get into that, though, Jake, I want to encourage our wonderful, wonderful listeners to listen some more. So subscribe and like and rate us highly in all your favorite platforms. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on Podbean, which also hosts our website. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Blueberry, Player FM. Blueberry. Also, we have very neglected presences on Facebook and Twitter. Though, if you follow <laughs> us there, you will see, like, it does post every single time a new episode's coming out. Yeah. Um, our website, BowieVersusDylan.com. You just do a search in Google for Bowie versus Dylan. Apparently, it's not that popular name for things. You'll find us. Yeah. Uh, we also have additional blog posts up there on matters that are important to us, and those matters are Bowie and Dylan, <laughs> respectively. Yeah. So head on over there. Have a grand old time. Listen and enjoy. And with that, I'm going to hand the reins over to you, Jake, to tell us about what Dylan was messing around with in 1978. Whatever it was, Jake, I have a feeling that Bowie was better because Bowie is better. I haven't been antagonizing you enough lately about how much better Bowie is than Dylan. Well, that's because... Just a little something in there to remind you that Bowie is better. Just want you to know. Go! Are you done? (laughs) I think so. For now. Great. I want to refute everything you said at the last part. Not all the part about Blueberry, because I love saying the word Blueberry. But all that stuff about Bowie being better. Uh, my wife has suggested that maybe, because it's, it's Blueberry with no vowels. She I know. suggested that maybe it's actually Blubbery. No, it's got to be Blueberry. I'm, I mean, well, we should, is you also, know, would also fit in this case. Blubbery? I don't, that just, that's kind of a... That sounds awful, doesn't it? does it? sound I don't terrible. want to antagonize our, one of our hosts. No it's way, Blue, Blueberry, we're in. We're in with blueberry. you. If blueberry. But if it is Blubbery, we're also in for that. Hey, we if it's judge. Blubbery, more power to you. You know, we're, we're, we're Blubbering right now. We're blubbering as it is. All right, I'm going to blubber yeah. about Dylan in 1978. Go. In 1978, the very first part of it, and I'm talking, I'm talking the date January 25th, 1978. <laughs> yeah, right away in the year, Dylan uh, let something out into the world, a project that he had never done before and something that he would never do again, and for probably good reason... <laughs> He wrote and directed and edited and did and distributed with his own money, it turned out, a feature film called Wow Ronaldo and Clara. Ever heard of it? Film buff? No. No, that's because it's I heard I heard he released a movie at one point. I 
could not have told you the name before. He was I in. Could, I'm not sure I remember what you just said now. He was in movies later, but this was this was the only one that he took complete control of. Okay. Um, they filmed it. He wrote it with. Um, this is another extreme air quote. He co-wrote it with Sam Shepard, the famous playwright and uh, yeah. soon to be Hollywood fixture. Uh, I remembered his name from, and now I don't remember what it is that he actually wrote, but he was kind of a Hollywood, uh, a Hollywood guy later in the 80s. Um, yeah, well, he didn't. So Hollywood. Sam, good old Sam, he basically... So the air quotes on co-write, <laughs> usually when you're talking about air quotes and yeah. writing with yeah. Bowie, it's because he stole a whole bunch of stuff from somebody else. No, and, this... like, rearranged it and made it into his own. Is that what we're talking about, or are we talking about something different? Oh, we're talking about something... Are the quotes around the co-part? Is that more what we're talking about? I think it's less sinister than stealing everything, like Bob usually does. Um, <laughs> this is more of, like, the the script is... It, I guess it's the script that should be in air quotes. There kind of wasn't, okay. there kinda wasn't one. Like, they... Okay. What they did was they filmed it and wrote it and did all the stuff during the Rolling Thunder review tour, which was... Okay. From 1975 to 76, and we have discussed at, we talked about it at some length. I remember. So, the film is three parts. There are three distinct parts. Oh, I should mention yeah. here as well that they shot over a hundred hours of film. And they and they uh, they sliced it down to a cool two hundred thirty two minutes. <laughs> Which out a four hour long movie. Yeah, I had to get out the calculator because I was like, no, not two hours and thirty two minutes. That's have almost. You, have you seen this movie? Four hours. Before we go any further, can I ask that? No. Have you, have you watched this? No, I wa- I watched I watched a good chunk of it, maybe thirty to forty minutes. It's on it's on YouTube <laughs> and it's on YouTube in parts. There's like part nine, <laughs> part eleven. How does it take to get up to two hundred thirty two minutes? Uh, it's I don't know, but it's it's pretty bad. The parts that I saw. Um, okay. And uh, okay. there's and I'll get to the three parts here. One is concert okay. All right. co- concert footage from the Rolling Thunder review, which is pretty good. Okay. I would say that sounds like it could be good. Um, yes, it is. Um, two is um, documentary interviews along the way with a whole plethora of people. And then three... Are they interviewed about... Are they just talking about Bob the whole time? They're talking about Bob, but they're also talking about some of uh, like the social ills at the time. And they're also talking about some... Bob's social ills? No, just social ills. Like socially, okay. what was wrong. Um, there's actually some pretty decent footage surrounding the Reuben Carter trial and what people were feeling about that. That's the hurricane, if you remember from his yeah, album, Desire, um, who he helped get out of jail, actually, wrongfully accused Reuben Carter. So there's a whole thing about the community um, surrounding him, and they have interviews with him in there. And then it kind of like floats in and out of, and this is the, these are the parts that I watched most, and they are just terrible. They are just terrible. Dramatic fictional vignettes, Chaz. <laughs> Tell me more. Sometimes Bob Dylan's playing Bob. Sometimes another actor is playing Bob. And it features both his wife, which by the time that the film came out, he was divorced of. So this came out after he was divorced to his wife, who is one of the stars of the film, Sarah Dylan. Okay. And, Chaz, Joan Baez as a non-named character named The Woman in White. Mm. Okay. So, mm. Bob, Bob, and throughout this whole thing, 75, Why 76. Why was John Baez willing to do this at this point? Nobody knows. Okay. Um, I think one way to look at it is that she, this was a little bit of like, she still wanted to 
uh, like take Bob away from his wife or something. It's okay. it's very bizarre. It was like a fictional but not fictional like love triangle going on in the movie and I guess in real life. But also all these non actors trying to like portray these emotions, which I'm sure were very uh-huh. complicated in real life. It's They've experienced those emotions maybe once or twice in it, real life. <laughs> it's bizarre. But not on screen, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Once you once you watch one of these things, these little vignettes, you don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> it's and it's not effective. It's not now, like what happens when you watch four hours of them? I assume that you explode into confetti. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm not really sure. So the the movie, um, both the features and the vignettes featured Allen Ginsberg, Joni Mitchell, who I guess wasn't, okay. hate, hate, didn't hate Bob in 75 and 76, Roger McGuinn from The Birds, um, Reuben Carter, as I mentioned, and Chaz, get ready for this, Mick Ronson. In the movie! Mick! We got a Mick! We got a Mick! Mick in '78. I tried to I tried to YouTube search just the parts with Mick Ronson, but it just brought me to another interminable part of the movie, and I didn't. I wish Mick Ronson were still alive, so he could know how much we care. Like I just wish he, I he knew that. I feel like maybe we would provide a Mick Renaissance. A Mick, I mean, perhaps I, I maybe would come on the podcast or something. A remix, a remixance. Instead, he died in either '93 or '94, like '1993. Yeah, no, that's that just makes me sad. You know, know. we uh, we just we want to celebrate. The podcast Nick. came twenty five years too late. <laughs> Only. <laughs> Only. <laughs> we should have read this in ninety three when uh, we were eleven and thirteen years old. And podcasts were not even close to being a thing. Didn't exist. No, the, the internet, internet really not even there. Okay. Okay. So Mick was in it, though. I mean, that's that's good. Where you go? Good. Uh, the the movie, you know, as far as I could tell and as far as I sort of read about it, was um, sort of avant-garde. It had mm-hmm. it had cubist references in that, Ooh. I guess, maybe you know more about this than I do. I guess that I it, so. it shows the same story from different characters' perceptions or something. Yeah, that's kind of cubist, sure. I sure. don't know. Yeah, okay. Um, and I guess it owed a major debt to the French surrealist film named Les Enfants du Paradis. I think I. Oh. I think I. Uh, do you know that film? The Children, Children of Paradise. Do you know that film? Uh, I saw it many years ago, and I don't remember it very well. I'll okay. be honest. Well, anyway, apparently that film had some white face, and of course Bob was doing his whole weird white face thing at right. the time for the Rolling Thunder. Um, unfortunately, Chaz, this thing, and it seemed to be a little bit predetermined, or at least Bob. Bob thought this might be the case. It was it was a it was a disaster <laughs> upon its release. <Okay. laughs> it played in four cities and they had to stop all the runs before <laughs> before they were over because nobody was going and um, even and nobody, nobody was staying. It would be my guess. Even we, four well, hours. Hopefully, they just fell asleep and woke up at the end. Clapped uh, for a little bit. Yeah, napped. Had had some lunch. Whatever. Uh, yeah. And uh, even worse, it has quote. The most intense critical roasting of his entire career. End quote. Wow. <laughs> he got raped and over we the know course what of this in thing. The 80s. Yeah. Well, this was, I, I suppose, up until that point. Um, it got worse. The critical I roasting. Think, I think this is probably like the very first time that, you know, besides maybe um, uh, Self Portrait, the 1970 album that was so weird yeah. that everyone hated. This is probably the first time that 
whatever latent feelings critics had about Dylan could finally just be brought to the forefront in a, okay. in a big way. They just way. didn't, you know, they didn't did, have to try anymore. Yeah, it seemed like the, the attacks became very personal. And, uh, um, okay. There's a newspaper in New Judas! York. Judas! <laughs> People shout that during Yeah, the they wanted to go back to Judas. I think that he was like, he wasn't even good enough to be Judas anymore in the <laughs> in the minds of these critics. It was like, uh-huh. they just, they were going to rock him down. Um, to wit, the Village Voice, the newspaper from New York, yeah. sent four critics just to roast the premiere of Ronaldo and Clara when it came out. <laughs> they sent four. Um, one of them... Uh, suggested very strongly that he hated him and he wished that he'd die. <laughs> in the in the wow. review. In the that's review. Little, all right, come on. I mean, that's yeah. a little strong here. Yeah, I know. Um, so Dylan did not really see that coming. That it would be so vitriolic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it. Jake, could... I'm gonna tell you that we are already <laughs> running long. No, we're not. Just, I mean, just like we're only at twelve one minutes. Short segment of what you're talking about. I just want to. I mean, we're just so bad about the two of us. Bad about running long. You know what? I'm not running long. You told me show. you were going to be mean, mean to me about this, but this is too much. You know, this is like your, I this is like your village voice you, review. I personally hate you and hope that you die. <laughs> I don't think I can continue. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Good. This will be the rest of the episode will be all Bowie. Oh, this is sweet. I bet zero people would listen to just that. Keep going. Just keep going. I'm just uh, on the flip side. Meanly reminding you. You know what? Nastily reminding you. You are being nasty right now. Being nasty. So nasty. Does anyone else have Janet Jackson stuck in their head right now? Not me. No. Nope. No. Okay. On all the right. flip me side. Neither. Me, ne- me neither. No. On the flip side. <laughs> Of this, they kind of liked it in Europe. Hey, <laughs> 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 Europe's like, oh yes, Bob. Um, this was a very huge uh, um, theme for 1978. Is he was getting killed in America, like killed. Uh-huh. And in Europe, they would like loved him, and in Japan, they loved him, and Australia, and all this sort of thing. And this film in particular, um, Ronaldo and Clara, would be like presented at festivals throughout throughout the years, you know, in its entirety as it was supposed to be, as it was supposed to be uh, uh, viewed. Okay. Um, so they kind of liked it. It's not. It wasn't. A, <laughs> it wasn't a smash, but yeah, they kind of liked it. So. Well, good. There you go. Another thing they liked way more than the Americans did was Bob's 1978 massive world tour. <laughs> This I know we talk about tours a lot because Bob's always on one past nineteen eighty eight. And this is before the never ending tour started. Yeah, this the was tour when was like still ending at some point. This is when like Bob Dylan did a massive world tour. It was not just every single year. It wasn't the norm. This was a, uh, you know, they did several things to kind of hype this up, including they released a uh, three LP set of greatest hits to Japan, Australia, and New Zealand in anticipation okay. of it. So they released it before he went out on that tour called Masterpieces. Do, do you have dates on this tour, Jake? Because Bowie toured like all the same places you're talking about. Um, boy, it was most of the it was most. I have of an anecdote year. about Bob and and Bowie later on, but uh, we'll we'll save that. I have another. I have another. I have another Bowie uh, Dylan anecdote as well later. Ooh, wow! A little battle of the anecdotes. It's not just Mick anymore, baby. Uh, he started out in Japan in February of 78 and then basically toured the rest of the year. It was more or less okay. like a 10-month kind of a thing. Okay. Um, speaking of which, 
he went to Japan, and um, the tour was a success there, and he recorded a live album that he would release in Japan in 78, but in America and elsewhere in 1979, called Live at Budokan, which... Okay. The Budokan was a a live music staple in the 70s. Okay. They had... Oh, what was the one that had their biggest hit ever? I want you to want me. Oh, yeah. Super Tramp? Super Tramp. Maybe. Super Tramp. I don't know. Anywho, uh, Bob put together a real nice band. He actually rehearsed people for the band and put together a nice big band. And what they did was they drastically reworked his older material. He okay. had He had gone on the 1974 tour in America, not a world tour, um, and he had done his older material again with the band to great success <laughs> in America. Um, with and the band, right? The band, not a band. The band. Okay, all right, all right. And uh, this was his first world tour since 1966, and that was the Judas tour. Just go ahead and say it. <laughs> Judas! Yep. I love yelling that. I know. You do it all the time. You do it even when we're not on this podcast. <laughs> I just <laughs> want everyone to know. He's always yelling oh, Judas. No, it's everybody. just you, Jake. It's just you. Well, maybe that's why I'm always... Maybe that's why I feel so bad about myself all the time. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Gee whiz. Uh... <laughs> The world tour was ecstatically received overseas, especially in England, where apparently at, oh man, something, something Bush, Bright Bush or Bot Bush, or was there a venue there? Well, probably. Anyway, he somehow managed to gather for just his concert, um, like 200,000 people there. Wow, what? Wow. And I guess it was a huge deal, like... All the biographies that I read made a made a made a nice little paragraph about how familiar it felt and how everyone came out to see him and it was like he played forever, you know. In contrast to the uh-huh. Isle of Wight, where he played for his contractually obligated fifty minutes, he played for like well over two hours. It was like this huge, awesome deal. And then maybe his mistake was that he um, did the world tour first to try to get uh-huh. that material going because by the time he got back to the states, again. Everyone despised him and didn't like the tour. It was the same tour. Isn't that weird? Uh, It was also dubbed the Alimony Tour because he got divorced in 1977 acrimoniously. Uh And uh, he was, you know, uh, required by law to, you know, give some of his millions (laughs) to his ex-wife and his five children. Well, including... Our old pal, Jacob Dylan, right? That's right. Jacob Dylan, you know, received some of the royalties from this tour, probably. Good. In, a, in, Good an, indirect, in an indirect way. Um, in between the world tour and the American tour, he went into the recording studio for two weeks, and it actually only took him one, to record Street Legal, his <laughs> follow-up. <laughs> you like that title, Jazz? What, Street Legal? It's good, Street yeah. Legal. Hey. I'm not illegal, I'm street legal. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you are, Bob. He's standing on the cover of Street Legal, like on the on the first step of a staircase leading up to an apartment or something, and he's just peering around the corner in like a leisure suit. That's what it is. <laughs> that sounds kinda creepy. Are you because like, then you know, street legal makes me start thinking like barely legal yeah. ladies and stuff. Oh, uh, don't go what? If he's leering into windows and things, I don't know about He's not leering, he's just looking around to see who's coming down the street and see if they're legal or not. Okay, that did sound bad. <laughs> well that makes me think that either it's something to do with underage ladies or barely old enough ladies no, or no. drugs, which is probably more likely, right? I'm gonna guess I'm gonna legal. guess drugs. 
I'm gonna guess drugs. Uh, will you? So he's just, he's just waiting for his man, then. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Um, to put it like Lou Reed might. Might. I don't know. Or he bo- looks like more bony than many many times I've heard that song. It looks like maybe he uh, he's thinking about going out to the disco, but he's not sure. Should he go? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any disco informed songs on the album? No, no, there's not. I okay. No, luckily. Although, I don't know about that. That might have been better in, at places, at times. Um, I want you to do, do me a quick favor. Will you, will you yeah. go on your internet machine and Google um, back cover art of Street Legal? Uh, and then just tell me the first thing that you think of. Back cover art Street Yeah. Legal. Do a nice little image search of that for me. I'm going. I'm on my way. All right. Tell me what Let's you see. see here. Uh, uh, oh, look at that guy. <laughs> what guy is that? Well, let's see here. It appears to be Dylan, but yeah. he may or may not be dead. Is he wearing a white leisure suit? Oh, he's wearing a white leisure suit. He looks like Elvis. Yep. Okay, great. Like old Fat Elvis. Old Fat Elvis. I'm also thinking, for some reason, Alice Cooper. That's that. Didn't Elvis die in 78? Yeah. No, 70, okay. 77. Like, 77. 77. Okay, well, that'd be a well, there's... Yeah, he looks like he looks like old fat Elvis there. What about old fat Alice Cooper? <laughs> oh, there's definitely that in the face for sure. I could definitely see some Alice Cooper there. <laughs> um, Alice Cooper never got old and value at all. He never got fat, though, as far as I know. No, I think he had the opposite problem. Um, yeah, probably. So Street Legal came out, and it was a number 11 in the U.S., um, but it quickly petered out. It was number 2 yeah. in the U.K. at a time when... You know, they weren't well, sure when if, it was like... number 11 in the U.S. and it petered out, yeah? Number two in U.K., uh, at a time when they weren't sure if, like, the punks would just burn down the record companies or something. Yeah. Um, people accused him, and it's funny you say that, people accused him of being, on this album, um, an entertainer in the Elvis mode. And they wondered... <laughs> on... croon? Please tell me he croons. No crooning. None uh... whatsoever. But Drag. people wondered between the world tour in which he was doing his greatest hits and this mm. album, which has a little bit more of a, a polished, you know, it doesn't sound like an Elvis record. It just must have at the time or something. I'm not really sure. Yeah. It was much more, it was like s- supposedly more of an entertaining record than his previous okay. ones. People wondered if he was preparing the way for a residency in Las Vegas a la Elvis. Wow. Yes. Can you imagine Bob Dylan like <laughs> vacating to to Las Vegas and never coming out? That would be no, a different no. world. Anyway, no, I w- no, he wasn't doing that. I want to give you. I want to give you. Can't do a lot of world tours when you're in Las Vegas all the time. Like the tour no. is never starting at that point. <laughs> it's the never starting tour. <laughs> the never starting tour of this one casino in Las Vegas. Oh man, totally. All right, here's four. Every Friday, Saturday night. Here's four things that Bob introduced on Street Legal that he had not done before. Uh, A, wailing saxophones. B, gospel backup singers. He had never done gospel backup singers before? Nope, first time. That feels like something he would have worked in at an earlier point. I think he did have gospel singers, but not in a a trio. This was his thing throughout the entire 80s. Okay. Uh, C, face-melting electric guitar solos. (laughs) T, 
tasty looks. Oh, yeah. There's some tasty. Did Bob play them looks. or did he get somebody else? Did he oh, play no, he, he was, it, was it Mick Ronson? No, no, it oh, was Mick it Ronson. Was, could do some. It wasn't people that I've never. Much guitar solos. Yeah, he should have. He should have been brought in for some tasty licks. Oh, Ronson's got so many tasty licks. And D. He's a, he was an axe slinger. Let me tell you. Yeah, didn't he? Like uh, I don't know. Slings the sling his axe. He yes. just slung it. He slung it a bit. <laughs> oh, so much. <laughs> so much slunging. <laughs> um, and D, straight ahead love songs that you can't believe that Bob Dylan was dumb enough to write. There's, <laughs> there's like three or four of them on this album, and that's the first he just time. He divorced. Like, how do we even have him in him? Well, I think he was out. I think he was out on the prowl. I guess. And this is what he came up with. <laughs> like, the leering down the street. There's so I'm gonna entertain you with um, some spoken word renditions of just a couple lyrics okay. later. I'll do and this I'm, later. Okay. Yeah. What? I'm gonna make a point of, of hustling you along. All right. I got two more yeah. things. I want to um, give you the name of two of his backup singers that he brought together. One, Carolyn Dennis, who would end up being his wife, starting in 1986. Is that his secret wife? Yeah, that was his secret wife. Okay. And okay. two, Chaz, and this is my Bowie Dylan anecdote for the day, Helena yeah. Springs. Ring a bell? Wait, say it again? Helena Springs. That was one of Dylan's backup singers that he hired. Actually, no, it, do- it doesn't ring a bell. All right. So, Helena Springs was Dylan's first favorite backup singer out of many throughout the 80s, which is, a, he had a weird proclivity for his backup singers. Helena Springs was his first favorite. They wrote some songs together. She was trying okay. to start a burgeoning music career, which never took off. However, okay. after she left Dylan's orbit, she ended up in Bowie's orbit. And they work together, and she's on stage with him at Live Aid in 1985. Oh, man. And wow. they were both reported to have romances with her. So, there's oh, your... That's from, I, slightly familiar. No, I don't know the name well, but I don't know the 80s as well as, you know, the other stuff, so... Well, who really okay. does? Okay, well, good. Okay, so there you go. That's a that's a. My anecdote isn't thin, as nice, but we'll get to it. Thin connection. And last thing, Dylan, at the end, nearing the end of 1978, and although he wouldn't come out with it till the next year or make it known throughout the rest of his concerts or anything he uh he uh he took christ he took him in in 1978 oh that was 1978 that's right so that would follow 1979 would follow with uh the beginning of his christian trilogy and a totally new bob dylan but for now we almost have to give it a nader raider i want to give it like (laughs) a sounds like it he got slammed we're gonna say u.s nader raider is at like a six or something. Okay. And world <laughs> nader. Never, we've never clearly defined what the rating is, like what the rating scale of the nader. Well, zero is. zero's the worst. Zero's like you can't get any worse. Oh, ten, okay. Ten is Zero's your. The ten was the worst. Ten's you're on top of the world. Okay. So I want to say in America he was like a six to a seven nader rater. Oh, okay. That's and the nader rater, the world nader rater, probably like a three, maybe. He was. He was still hot was out there. The, you were just saying that was better in the world and worse than the worst in the United States. No, zero's the worst, man. Zero's well, the worst. worst. It's the Nader Orator that's the worst. Yeah, Nader Orator is zero. So if he's three in the world... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I'm that's a, true. I'm a big idiot. I Let's know. go with three. Three for America. <laughs> <laughs> that's why the scale is, is just this is, confusing and pointless. Well, I'm going to make a point to at least get it right for once. Three. Okay. Three. Three in the United States. <laughs> three in the United States. Six or seven. Six or seven in the world. I'm okay. a math genius. Please tell us about Bowie in 1978. I would love to, Jake. I thought you would never ask. I knew. I bet you did. Bowie in 78. Boo. Yeah. 
Go ahead. Are you just saying Bowie I'm or saying, Bowie? I'm saying Bowie. <laughs> oh. Uh, let me think here. I gotta give a shout out to some random guy with a YouTube channel. Yeah. I'm gonna do this. Do it now. Because when I do a research, you know, I, well, sure like you, I, you just, I just end up at some of the same places just have, have what I need over and over again. Absolutely. There is a YouTube channel called David Bowie Tin Machine. So oh. not very, not super, you know, original, but that's okay. That's all right. The about page suggests that the guy who runs its name is Richard. Thank you, so Richard. I know. But this guy has got, like, so many sweet bootlegs. Oh. So many. Bootlegs central. Just, I got, he's got hundreds of different videos, interviews and live shows and all sometimes audio-only stuff and video stuff. It's so awesome. I find so much stuff. It's one of those. I do my searches just on regular on YouTube. I kept realizing I ended up on the same guy's channel over and over again. So oh, now yeah. I just kind of start with his channel before I go anywhere else because he just, has so much stuff. You're just like, nice hey, hey, Richard, tell me what you've got today, Richard. Oh, no, come on, Richard. Richard. I don't know if he's British or not. He might not be British. He better be. There's no way to know. He should be. But nice one, Richard. Well done. Thanks, Richard. Anyway, 78 was nice because I feel like the last few years I've done have been kind of like quiet years for Bowie. Yeah. Like this is the first like big packed full year that I've had in a while, and it's one of those years where we can like just go right down the months and say what he did almost every you know week yeah. of the year. I feel yeah, like. that was that was Dylan it's kind too. Kind of fun. It's just you know, it's, it's so just packed full and so well documented, and he wasn't taking a lot of time off. He was working, working it. Nineteen seventy eight is a no. I mean, it's in his golden his golden years, Jake. His golden I years. I know. I just thought of that right there. Uh... Uh, those being 1969 to 1980, where just everything kind of went right for him. Just with very, very few exceptions, they were just a wonderful, wonderful 12 years. Creatively. Uh, 78 is notably the only one of his golden years in which he did not release a studio album. Oh. Wow. The only year. The only one. And and he had multiple years where he released, well, he had two years in there where he released two do you refer to this? 1977. He was a little bit forgiven for not having one in 78 because he had two in 77. Do you refer to 78 as like a bronze year then since it's not quite golden or what? Eh, it's still pretty gold. Fine. We'll get to it. Tell me. So a little background here. 1977. Well, we go back to 75 and 76. Bowie snorted all of the cocaine in <laughs> North America. Yeah. At least, at least the state of California. All of it. Every, Every last. last. I don't know. What do you call it? A single a grain of cocaine? I don't know. Anyway. Grain. Uh, 77, and well, like late 66 into 77, he uh, he started not doing all of the cocaine oh, anymore. Good for him. He moved. That's when he cleaned up. Was like late. And I, I the guy couldn't have like lived much longer. He yeah, yeah. awful. That's what like, I He heard. looks like he is standing and he's dead. He standing looks dead. There. He looks like a skeleton. So true. Uh, but late 66... Into 77, he's cleaning up. He moved to Berlin with Iggy Pop, who also cleaned up at the time. So good for them. The I think that buddies. they should Those have... Those guys are just pals. I think they should have, like, a um, like a late 80s sitcom, like, Iggy and uh, Bowie! Iggy, <laughs> Iggy and Dave. Iggy and Dave. Iggy and Dave. Yeah, the Adventures of Iggy and Dave. There was supposed to be... I don't remember any of the details. There was, somebody was going to make a movie about their time in Berlin mm -hmm. and in Europe, cleaning up. Because it just kind of were like normal, and Bowie was like, had money troubles at the time, because, I don't know, mismanagement, bad management, and all kinds yeah, of stuff. same old story. Um, he was making some changes, trying to clean himself up, trying to be a better dad. His marriage was on the rocks. He, so he moves to Berlin, and like barely anybody knows, where he is, knows who he is. He's just like living... But during that period, it was a very uh, productive period, studio-wise. 
he recorded two of his very best albums, Low and Heroes, both released in 1977. Yep. He also did a lot, an awful lot of work, co-wrote and performed and produced two Iggy Pop albums, The Idiot and Lost for Life, both right. of which are also excellent. And so then he comes rolling into 78 on the back of all this. He toured with Iggy Pop in 1977 also. He um, actually played keyboards with Iggy with e Pop in an Iggy e Pop tour. And just was in the background a little bit. It's the only time he's ever done that for anybody. Can I ask a question quick? Yeah. Were those albums, because they're so revered now, Low and yeah. Heroes, um, were those albums popular at the time? No. No, okay. I didn't think so. I didn't know that. Well, and we'll get more into this in the 77, but Low came up first. Okay. And the best, the best parallel for somebody of our generation is, uh, is Kid A. Oh. He dropped this thing, and like some people were like, whoa, it's amazing. And some people were like, what the heck is this? I don't even know what to do. Yeah. The day's album for it, Station to Station, was one of his most successful albums. Right. I want to say, in America at least, it's his best-selling album ever after Let's Dance, but I could be wrong about that. Oh. Um, okay. That was really like his big break. Young Americans and Station to Station really broke him in America. He was doing okay, but that really was his big break there. Okay. And so then he comes rolling with low, and people didn't know what to think of it. Some people hated it. Some people thought it was the best thing ever. It was, it was interesting. So we're moving into 78 here. Yep. And, uh, and again, this is a year where we can like break things down month by month. I'm going to do that. You're going to break so it down month to month? It starts on 78 with oh, January and February by filming one of, I haven't seen it yet. It didn't get released until 1979. So I will watch it for 1979. But one of his worst films, apparently. It's called Just a Gigolo. <laughs> that sounds like anybody's worst film ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great title. Just anyway, Bowie likes the director. Apparently, he uh, this is only his second starring role in a movie. Okay. Um, he said that he, he learned his lesson to never sign up for a movie without reading the script first. Hey, no good matter job. how good you think the director good might job, be. Good job, Bowie. <laughs> he, uh, he largely apparently took the role because Marlene Dietrich was in it. Oh, yeah. Like, and she, she came back from a, I don't know, 12-year retirement or something like that to be oh, in this movie. Wow. Okay. But apparently she refused to live leave Paris where she lived. Yeah. And so even though Bowie and her share scenes, they never <laughs> met. No way. They shot his what? part in I think they shot it mostly in Germany. And uh, her parts in Paris because she refused to leave Paris. That is crazy. Where she lived. Yeah. yeah she apparently crazy. it's really, really awful. I look forward to well, I don't look. I kind of look forward to. It sounds like it might be so bad it's good. We'll see. Worse than Ronaldo and Clara. For 79. After that, he goes on tour, the Isler Two tour. Oh yeah. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't know what Isler means. No one really seems to. There are lots of guesses. Nobody knows. Uh, the Isler One tour was seventy six. Isler Two tour seventy eight. Uh, it's notable for featuring electric violin. Very nice. Always yeah, good. Bowie did not play the electric violin, but he, he did bring it in. Yeah. He's coming off of these really weird albums, you know. The two in, in 77 are two, at that point, certainly his most avant-garde, strangest albums he'd released, undoubtedly. Sure. sure. And so trying to translate these things on stage actually went really well, but, you know, it had to have been difficult. So from March to July, he's in North America. Uh, some two dates in late April, early May were recorded for the live album Stage, which was released in September, which we'll talk about more later on. All right. Uh, there were also dates recorded in late June, early July in London for a live video that never was released. Hmm. 
and who knows, maybe the X-Men will. But I'm sure the audio will. recording of that was released just earlier this year as Welcome to the Blackout. Oh, hey the there. And it was an really, really excellent, one of his best live albums, in my opinion. A little Far better synergy than Pitch, there. In my opinion. I'm going to get to it in a little bit. And this is my little uh, my little Bowie Dylan uh, anecdote. Let's hear it. Is I caught a review of his show in London okay. at St. Earl's Court. Let me look here. Uh, yes, Earl's Court in London. And apparently Dylan had played it like two weeks before. Whoa. Yeah. And the reviewer made a point of saying how much better Bowie was than Dylan. What? Come on. <laughs> yes, I'm not making this up. No. This is the type of thing I would make up, but I'm not right now. Just yeah, like, but you're featuring it. I'm, of course I'm featuring it. <laughs> I want you to know this, Jake. That some reviewer in 1978, during one of Bowie's best years and one of Dylan's worst... Uh, said that Bowie was better. So that means he's better forever. That wasn't one obviously. of his worst years. Middle of the road. Okay. Middle of Middle the road. Middle of the road. Well, still one of Bowie's best. Anyway, the uh, the tour was made up of, like, his his, his concerts were made up of. He kind of had an interesting uh, makeup to these. He kicks off the, the uh, each concert with a six-minute-long ambient piece from Low. Ooh. Which tasty. that seems cojones, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure it does. Just kick it off with six-minute-long mm. Give the people what they want. Some ambient music. <laughs> it was kind of like an effective way because it just started things like really kind of slow and atmospheric. It's kind of a brooding like. That sounds good. It worked. It worked. And then he kicked it and he moved right into that, into Heroes. Oh, one nice. Of the biggest, you know, anthem type. That sounds one great. Of the biggest that, that sounds kind of great, actually. It is great. That's what I'm saying. So, as was common at the time, he broke up his concert into two sets with a 10 minute intermission. It's the kind of thing you don't see in concerts anymore. Nah. Like, how many concerts have you been to with an intermission? I can think of one, ever. It's like only one rock concert. It's only when there's, like, encores. That's the intermission, basically. Well, it's, I think I, I saw the Decemberists several years back, uh-huh. right after they did uh, their uh, Hazards of Love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their big, you know, story album. Right. And so they did all of Hazards of Love, which, by the way, was way better live than it is on record. I would and then hope he came so. back for a second set and played a bunch of other songs. That's the okay. only time I can think of where I was at a concert with an intermission. Anyway, the first half before the, the intermission was almost entirely music from Low and Heroes. Okay. So this is like, it's a bold statement right there where you're like, no, this stuff is, we're doing this. Bold move, so gentlemen. it's almost entirely, I mean, so half of it's instrumental. Um, there's a couple like Gene Genie sneaks in there and uh, I think Famous in there. So there's a okay. couple like older tracks to, to do that. Sure. He plays about half of Low, about half of Heroes and those two other songs. Takes a 10 minute intermission, comes back and plays six straight songs from Ziggy Stardust. Wow. I know. It's kind of a strange makeup it is to kind a of concert, a strange but I feel mix. like it works. And he was, you know, not playing a lot of Ziggy before then and, you know, he got sick of Ziggy just because it was so. I know, he moved on, and a lot of people didn't, you know, we're still wondering why he wasn't doing glam rock yeah. all these years later and everything. Yeah, yeah, So he goes yeah, into sure. that, but kind of reworks them. He does about half of Station to Station, which is from 1976, okay. which is a great album. And then a few other scattered songs, including uh, the Alabama song, which is a Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Vile song, made possibly more famous by The Doors. I don't even... Show us the way to the next whiskey oh, bar. Yeah. Oh, oh, don't ask why. why. Oh, don't ask why. Yeah. Yeah, I know that oh, song. He, did that. he released it as a single also in 1979. Uh, it's 79 or 80. Can't remember. One of those years. But he first started playing it here. Okay. And, uh, and does it pretty well. So that's kind oh, of an interesting, uh, interesting show. 
That is an interesting So moving on here, that was, uh, what was that? March to July. In May, we had a pair of kind of interesting uh, album releases that okay. Bowie's involved in. First one is an Iggy Pop live album called TBI Live 1977. Like traumatic brain um, injury? Like what, TBI? What's that? Traumatic brain injury, like TBI. Is it an acronym TV, for that? TV, like watching oh, TV. Oh, TBI. Television. Got it. Television, Jake. Uh huh. So, like I said, Bowie actually toured with Iggy Pop in '77 for a while, for a few months. He didn't do the whole tour; he did about half of it. On, okay. Uh, keyboords. So keyboards. Bowie appears on half of the tracks. Take Bowie the also ivories. co-produced and co-mixed it with Iggy Pop. Yeah. The thing is, like, it's pretty well hated. Oh. I don't. I don't know why quite. It's it's, it's really, but this is e pop, you know. It's really like bombastic. It's really loud and really sludgy, and you know, it doesn't have like this crisp levels and everything, sure. and, you know. But it's an e pop live album. Like I don't know what you're expecting yeah. <laughs> here. That's what he do. I don't know what you, you think you want here? That's what he do, man. You know, that's it's e pop. So um, I I kind of like it. I'm just gonna say it. I kind of like it. Go for Bowie it. wrote about half the songs to or co-wrote about half the songs with Iggy Pop, so it's a notable not Bowie release that Bowie's involved in. The other one also came out in May is Peter and the Wolf. Ah, uh-huh, the beloved. That gentle, beloved classic. I love Peter and the Wolf. In every real sense of the word. And you and I, Jake, know this pretty well. We do. Because we had the David Bowie version of Peter and the Wolf when we were did. kids. Yep. I remember it well. I didn't realize until after Dad died and we, we raided his record collection. Yeah. And I found that was the version. I knew, remember, we had Peter Roll and the Wolf. I didn't remember that. I, I remember the I cassette tape. I, I got a hold of that LP. You got the LP? Oh, good for I you. I got it. I have it on CD it. also, which uh, one of my brothers gave to me. It was you. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty good at yeah. I'm pretty good at You presents. brought it for me on CD. I do remember that now. I had the LP version. Wow. Okay. Um, good for me, I would so say. So, it's kind of an interesting... Again, his most avant-garde year, he managed to do Kid and the Wolf, and that was the same year he recorded his, his uh, collaboration with Bing Crosby, his only Christmas song. Yeah, he was just out there being weird. I don't know. Like, he was doing all this super weird stuff and touring with Iggy Pop and hanging out with Bing Crosby. Yeah. And doing Peter and the Wolf, like, doing the, the speaking stuff. Uh, apparently, he was the third choice for, for Peter and the Wolf oh. behind Alec Guinness oh. and Peter Ustinoff. I don't know Peter but Houston. He, he landed it. And he has claimed that he did it, He only did it as a present for his seven-year-old son. Aww. Now, fairly well-known uh, movie director Duncan Jones. Great. At hey. the time, called variously Zoe, which is a bad rhyming something. Or apparently it's called Joe a lot of the time also. Okay. <laughs> uh, unrelated, he claimed that he did the Bing Crosby thing pretty much just for his mom, because his mom would have been Crosby. So, there you yeah. go. Well, that would make more sense than, do, more than sense. doing it for yes. another reason, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, getting into September, he recorded, did the first half of recording for Lodger, his 1979 album. Lodger. He would wait six months before recording the rest of it. Wow. He did it in September, That's and weird. then he wouldn't go back to the studio until March to finish it up, which is kind of interesting. That is interesting. And then uh, finished off the year with the tour picked up again in November, December, and he hit uh, the Pacific. Maybe Europe? Wait, no. No, Pacific. Europe was already. I have Europe written down, but he didn't do Europe then. He did Pacific. So we did Japan and oh, Australia okay. and all that stuff. Gotcha. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. Way to go. So I'm going to finish things off with The Year and Hair. Yes. Hit us with it. My very favorite future. And The Year and Hair is just, he just looks normal. <laughs> it's just kind of like parted, you know, like, and just kind of short and not, not much going on. A couple times I saw him, you know, I saw performance of things where he obviously needed a haircut, just getting a little long, just a little shaggy, but that, 
that's about it. Yeah. He was wearing a lot of normal clothes. As somebody quipped um, somewhere, did I already say this? I can't remember if I said this to you before the show or during the show. I think it was before. Uh, Okay. Somebody, I read this somewhere, somebody quipped that, you know, as his music gets weirder, his look is getting more normal. And it's true. He was looking really like a regular guy. I caught one interview where he was, he was almost certainly making this up, but I'm sure anyway. He was, uh, oh, this was Australia. And he claimed that at the airport, he saw a whole bunch of reporters, you know, like waiting for his plane to get off so they could talk to him. And that one of these reporters asked him if he'd seen Bowie, if he knew where, where, where Bowie was. And he like pointed out some guy up ahead who looked a little more flamboyant and had red hair, and then went rushing after him. <laughs> I'm going to guess Bowie's making this up, because this sounds definitely like the type of thing he would make up. Yeah, but, that doesn't sound know. right. But the, the point is still there. In the interviews I watched, all kinds of people kept asking. They kept asking over and over again what was with the new look and what was, you know. Yeah. They hadn't made a lot of public appearances the previous year, except he asked about his really normal-looking hair. And said, well, I've... I mean, I had this haircut since nineteen, like late nineteen seventy six. Come on, guys, talk to my hairdresser. So you know, they're just not up on it. But he just looks like a normal guy. He's just wearing interviews. Just wearing like you know jeans and a button down shirt, and that's it. He's a little more out there on stage, but not okay. that much. So there you go. Well, this, here. this happened to Dylan too in the in the sixties, especially. Uh, people started ascribing so much meaning to what these what these superstars were like wearing and what it meant. Like, um, Dylan was wearing a motorcycle t-shirt on the front of highway 61 revisited. And Uh there were a lot of, you know, people who were like, what does that mean? You know, what is it? Probably just means he was wearing a t-shirt when he sat down for the photo. (laughs) Like, that's, See, that's what it means. Because his image was so cultivated, you know, yeah. it was such a and big I get, part. I so totally get so that. So theatrical. Yeah. That's right. And that was that actually brings in one thing, because he, he played all these different characters in all these different roles, starting with Ziggy and going through Aladdin Sane and Halloween Jack and... Of course. Uh, uh, Thin White Duke. And uh, he was insisting in one of these interviews, the reason why he looked normal is because he wasn't playing a character anymore. Right. He was just done with characters. But people were still him. people were still looking for him to be in a character. Oh, yeah, they just didn't quite get all of this, that he was... Yeah, he was taking a step back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what is the year in here? You get it, Jake. You, I, I, you know, if there's anybody I get, it's Bowie. <laughs> Wait. That's why I talk about him on this podcast, and you talk about Dylan. Yeah. What's, uh, what's Bowie's year in here score, then, please? I'm gonna give it a four. Whoa! Like it's, it just looks, you know, kind of like normal and you know, just decent, just good. He's popping. Yeah. He's, he's popping normcore. All right, let's get some uh, some real points yeah. loaded here, since as usual we went a little over. No, we're fine. Chaz, you must be looking at the wrong clock. We're good. We we've been going for forty five sweet minutes. Yeah, I know. And they've been they've been good ones, but they've been real sweet. Real sweet. Tasty All right, go. Minutes. All right, so Dylan put out, for him anyway, uh, he put out a load of stuff, like a lot of different things. So I'll try to I'll try to keep it, you know, semi-brief, but I do want to talk a little bit about Street Legal, his major label release from the year. Uh-huh. As I said, it features a little bit more of a cleaned up, a little more, the word is just entertaining. I don't, I don't think that's describing it very right. It, yeah. It, um. I think it has a kinship with two albums of Bob's. One is the previous album, which was Desire, which had kind of this like gypsy, a little bit of an ethnic sound to it. Okay. Um, a little bit of a rough sound. 
Um, that's cleaned up on street legal, but there's still yeah. some of that instrumentation. There's mandolin in places. These saxophones, you know, they're not like cheesy wailing '80s saxophones. They're very, okay. they're very in not the yet. mix. Not that's yet. No, that, that's com- for later. that's coming. But they're they're definitely as a part with the music, um, and the same with the guitars. There's a couple tasty lick sesh seshes sessions. Yeah, you gotta have a little bit in there. In there, but it's not, um, you know, it's not that. It's not. It doesn't stick out like in an '80s sort of way, um, but the albums. I feel like that songwriting holds some kinship with the 1983 album Infidels, which we've talked about. In right. that, it kind of trades more interesting lyrical things and tempos of songs with just these awful love songs, and uh, <laughs> that are just like you're looking for meaning in them, but there's nothing. It's just like. You know, I love you. Why don't you love me? Um, I'll read you a couple lyrics when I do the singles later. You should um, uh, make a a mix CD for your wife of all <laughs> bad oh. late seventies into the eighties. You know, <clears throat> Dylan love songs. I think we. She end, would really. She would really like. That I think too. we'd end up really like thoughtful. Bob and Sarah Dylan. I'd be doing an alimony tour next year. <laughs> I would definitely go to your alimony. Can I get some comp tickets for that alimony? Tour? Absolutely not. I need the money. When you, you hit the you Twin pay. Cities, you pay. Everybody, everybody <laughs> pays. At least get backstreet passes so we can record a podcast. Yeah, definitely an on-site podcast location. Okay. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, sometimes I look at kind of the batting average of the songs that I like on it. I want to say yeah. about Street Legal that this is probably, or actually this is definitely, the Dylan album that I've tried to love the most, but I, but I don't. Now, Jake, I we were talking in our last episode about uh, making up our own awards. Yeah. Um, Boy vs. Dylan Awards. And we have not come up with a bad punning name for these awards yet. No, you leave it to me. I would like to, to suggest that you give this <laughs> the Boy vs. Dylan Award for album you have tried to love the most. <laughs> but don't. But fail. <laughs> but don't. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to do it because I know that's true. Um, looking, looking on his discography. It comes at the end of a pretty incredible run, you know, basically starting when he starts. This is his first, to me, his first really questionable album. Like, even okay. Self-Portrait, which there are so many reasons not to like it. I still listen to it. I still, it's still funny, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, it still holds some sort of, um, it has some sort of hold on me. Because there are classic songs on there. And it's yeah. a sound that I like. You know, that sound. This sound on Street Legal almost gets there. It's almost like Desire, but it's not quite as bad as um, his 80s work. It's not as bad as Infidels. And so consequently, I want to give it a 1.5. Okay. Because I think that there's two or three really good songs. And as I okay. said, I look, at, I look at the batting average, I'd say that four out of the ten songs are good. Like, I will listen okay. to those songs. There's a minor classic, a Dylan minor classic, called um, Senor, uh, Tales of Yankee Power. And that's a great song. Okay. The first song... Tales of Yankee Power. Tales of Yankee Power. Yeah, that's in parentheses, of course. Um, The first song on the album is called Changing of the Guards, and that's been in my head ever since, um, you know, I started listening to this album in preparation for the episode. It's just that it's... And this is a single, too, so I'll talk about it now in terms of singles. Um, It's seven minutes long, and some Dylan songs when he's really writing powerful stories or he's writing a really powerful yeah. narrative, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how long the song is. He has like 12 minute songs that I'm completely no, riveted, I, I'm riveted by. But this seven minute song feels very long. 
And it's because okay. he, he is not constructed like a good narrative to it. It's it's clever wordplay, but it just kind of drags on and on. You know, you want it to be done okay. after four minutes, but it's not. Anywho, <laughs> I'm going to give that one as a single. I'm going to give that a 1.0 because I think it's the, okay. it's the best song on the album. Okay. Um, the <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do just a little bit of lyrics recitation for you here. Um, another single is called Is Your Love in Vain? I just... Just the title is a negative one, so I'm giving the song a negative one. Uh, this is... Dylan had a little bit of a misogynistic streak, I guess, be- uh-huh. even before he became a born-again Christian and really cranked up the volume on that. Um, here's, a, here's one of the lyrics. Can you cook and sew? Make flowers grow? Do you understand my pain? And then I think you can guess that that rhymes with "Is your love in vain?" Because oh, oh, I know, Bob. didn't see that coming. Pulled the rug out from under us. All right, so that's a negative one. The worst song I think on the album was the lead single. It was called "Baby Stop Crying." <laughs> and uh, I have a ironically, the song made her cry more. <laughs> she cried nonstop after she heard it. Nonstop, she's still crying. I'm going to give you a very quick uh, multiple choice question. So the song structure is that the chorus is made up of him, Bob, that is, singing Baby Stop Crying, and his backup vocalist singing Baby Stop Crying in a call and response. How many times does somebody sing the phrase Baby Stop Crying? Is it Uh, A, 16, B, 52, C, 0, or D, approximately 800,000? But 52. Yeah, you're right. 52 times somebody says, stop crying. <laughs> wow. The song is like three minutes long, too. <laughs> There's four choruses, and somebody says, stop crying 13 times in each chorus. You do the math. <laughs> uh, here's, I just did. Four <laughs> choruses. Got it. Here, here's my little recitation for this song. You've been hurt so many times, and I knew what you're thinking of. Well, I don't have to be no doctor, babe, to see that you're madly in love. You like that? That's a Bob Dylan lyric on a record. Nobel Prize winning. Well, I don't have to be Bob no doctor, babe, to see that you're madly in love. Stop crying. That's how. That's pretty much the song. All right. Negative one. Baby, stop crying. Negative one. Get out of here. The tour was a smash hit overseas and a smash disaster. <laughs> For America, so I'm going to give it a .5 because I think it's... Rep- yeah, fair enough. It's fine, you know. Um, live at Budokan, the album in 1979, the live album is not good, so I don't know what to make of that. But we'll we'll burn that bridge when we cross it. Okay, so you're saying that one for Sabbath. I wasn't sure if you were doing it in 78 or No, no, I'll do it in 79. It wasn't, okay. it wasn't released until then, anyway. Um, okay, what else do we got here? Oh, he released three videos in... Um, kind of surrounding the Ronaldo and Clara thing. Their performances of Tangled Up in Blue... Isis off of um, Desire, and oh, was there another music video? I thought there was. Tangled up in blue. Oh, I'm so confused. Okay, I guess there's only two music videos. I'm giving them each point five. They're basically performance videos, but they're now, Jake. What? In the past, we have not given separate points for music videos. Yeah, but I thought we treated them as singles. But. But we said music videos have not been connected to singles. Oh. Like we've, we've combined them with the singles because they virtually always come with as singles. Oh, come with singles. okay, all right, never mind. Wipe those, wipe those clean. I thought that was okay. weird. 
Alright, never mind. Um, what he did do was release an EP called Four Songs from Ronaldo and Clara, and that okay. actually features the performances that were in the videos, so that's what I meant okay. to do. The, All right, so EP, pull that the, EP then, yeah. the EP I'm going to score as a .5 for the EP, okay. out of a possible one, I want to say, you know. Okay. Uh, most of them are good. There's one weird cover, which I can't remember what it is now. He released the three LP greatest hits, Masterpieces. Um, I'm going to give that a .5. It's something okay. as a, you know, not as a record collector, but as a, you know, record, the, someone who cares about their record collection. I totally want to get that and complete, you know, complete my collection of, yeah. of Dylan, even though I didn't know about it until I started researching this whole thing. Yeah. And then, last thing. Jeez, I know, this is, this is Bowie S. Yes. This is how I feel every time you talk about points. <laughs> He participated in The Last Waltz, which was the one of the handful, one of the two probably best documentary slash live concert movies ever, directed by Martin Scorsese. The other I want to say okay. is uh, Stop Making Sense, is the other one that always gets oh, man, that's a good one. the Talking Heads one. Yeah. Um, it was in honor of the band's last performance in 1978. Okay. Um, it has a bunch of documentary interviews, but it also has just a just a load of music from like everybody relevant besides I guess David Bowie at that time. <laughs> no, uh, but he wasn't in those circles. It does, it makes sense that he No, wasn't he wasn't in those circles. It wasn't like an all star everybody kind of a thing. Yeah. Um anyway, Dylan performs on five songs from that. Um they had him close out the show. So Bob was like the the bell of the ball there. He came on Oh yeah. You know, his relationship with the band and his He's the bell of every ball. Well he's the bell of every band ball, that's for sure. Uh, so I'm going to give that a .5 his performance on that it was released that year as well as well as the concert film so gosh I have another acronym here it's called GH and I don't know if I what is GH did you do points for Ronaldo and Clara oh no I didn't no that's uh, what what do we give for movies I would I mean this one's got to be a little higher because he did so much stuff (laughs) with it I mean we've been doing we've been Bowie just gets one point if he's acting in something he's starring in something I feel like this is a three-pointer. Yeah, I kind of feel like you're right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Ronaldo and Clara. Uh, I'm going to give it a negative two. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of that? Uh, I thought I I was pretty sure it was going to come out negative. I thought I'll open it up to five just to mess with the score. Oh, how dare you. Three seems about fair. Three seems about fair for that. So negative two is what I'm saying. The, the okay, co- so what is the grand total of this? I don't know. Mess of a year. Oh my gosh! Um, you want to work on that while I'm, while I'm running through Bowie's? All right, will you please? I'll I'll add everything okay. up here. All right, go for I it. I got all mine worked up here. <laughs> all right, so Bowie went on tour. The Iceland Two tour is a good tour. Oh, I found dude. a lot of great clips of it, and it's really really enjoyable. I'm giving that a one. One for the tour for sure. Uh, he released a live album from said tour called Stage in September of that year. Now, the thing about stage, I forgot to run this. We apparently did talk a lot about our points and stuff before this episode. We didn't. So I forgot to talk about this. <laughs> we need clarification. Stage <laughs> gets the BVD award for Bowie's most messed with album. Oh, yeah. I've heard you've it's told me It's been released this. in four different, I don't know, editions. Like, each one slightly different than the one before. So, when it originally came out, it was, I didn't write it down, I think it's 17 tracks. Um, I talked about how the makeup of these concerts, how they started out with, like, all material from Low and Heroes. Um, they messed it around and changed it around so that the order of it was very different. The order is basically chronological by when the album tracks came out. So it kicks off with Ziggy, 
which kind of like ruins some of the yeah that's weird the flow to it a lot so kick off with you know five tracks from ziggy cut out one or two of them and then kind of goes through some stuff from like young americans and stage station to station and uh then moves in on the second side to the heroes and low stuff it just doesn't work as well uh, it has a very studio feel like they minimized the because they were able to this is kind of like they were trying to really get this like pristine sound which yeah. just doesn't work as well for a live album. Like we already have the studio. Some people were. It was some uh, critics accused it of not actually being live or only being partially live. Oh, interesting. And it really was entirely live. I don't think they did any overdubs at wow. all. Wow. Um, but it's scary. They they really minimize the the audience sounds. So it's okay. just like the stage, just the band. Uh, they fade like there's there's silence between each track. Like, so the crowd noise goes down, and then you have a silence, and then it goes back up for the next song. Sure. So this makes it all feel, like, very kind of studio and very... Worked over. Know. Yeah. Yeah, worked over, yes. Um, which I just don't, don't like as much. I don't know. Okay. Uh, that does sound kind of they, bizarre, actually. There were a couple more editions. It's interesting, it's different. I don't know. They It was re-released in 1990 with a bonus track. It was released again in 2005 with a couple more bonus tracks, and rearranged into the actual concert order. They got rid of the fades and everything. This was such a big change that I'm going to propose that I add a half point to 2005 when we get to that, because it actually would raise the entire score of the album to me. Like, the album that was released in 2005 has a, would have a higher score than the one that was released in 78. Yeah, you would propose an extra half point. You would. I am, so I'm proposing that when we get to 2005, then I add that half point that would put it up one. Or put it up at half point. Well, I'm sure you won't forget about it, so go for I it. I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> and uh, then it was re-released just last year in 2017 right. with a couple more bonus tracks. So you're uh, gonna... Notably, it still does not have all of the songs from the original concert. So another one's coming, <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> well, I don't know. They're still missing one. Well, then they released Welcome to the Blackout, which is from the same tour this year. and has all the stuff. So I kind of think that's the ultimate end to all this. Anyway, it's still I'm making it sound way worse than it is. I'm making it sound like a bad live album. It's not. Like the con- the performances are good. There's still these weird messing with it. I'm giving that one a one point five. Alright. So maybe my talking made it sound like it was more negative than it was. But that's the BVD award for most messed with albums. <laughs> the BVDs. We call the them the BVDs. BVDs. That sounds like it's an underwear a- company, but okay. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh next up we have T V I, the Iggy Pop live album, according yeah. to seventy seven. Yeah. Uh Bowie is on half the tracks. He co-produced it and he co-mixed it. He also co-wrote uh, four or five of the songs for uh, Pops two 1977 albums. I'm giving that half point and it's worth it. Okay. Uh, Peter and the Wolf, where he does the vocals on that, I'm giving that a half point too. It's with the Philadelphia Orchestra conducted by Eugene Ormandy, by the way. I can still hear his dulcet tones. Oh, he's dulcet. He's very it's well dulcet. Worth it. It's a good. It's it good. is good. I'm not saying it. it's. I loved that when we were kids. And you know who's is my like kids won't listen to it, but you know who's is we good. Weird Al Yankovic is is really good. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> it is. It's not. A, it's not silly or funny. He do they do a does serious it. one? Yeah, they do a serious one. Wow. Good yeah. For him. So there's two. And then Bowie has two singles in 1978. Only two. Only two, I know. Well, he didn't release the studio album, so... Dylan out-singled Bowie for an entire year? Bowie for the first that time, That is ridiculous. Uh, Bowie, the first one is, it's the second album, or second single off of Heroes. Heroes released in November of 77. So yeah, the first yeah. single was, of course, a little song called Heroes. The second uh, single was Beauty and the Beast, which is a lesser-known track, oh, not yeah. going to hit. Uh, my kids have been singing this all day long. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> so apparently, thing? I've been listening to it a fair amount around all here, right. and they've been fighting over what the lyrics are. So that's good. Uh, one notable thing: there's a line in there 
called uh, Someone Fetch a Priest. And this was changed from the original lyrical intent was uh, Somebody F a Priest. Whoa. That's different. <laughs> That's different. Well, apparently it was a phrase that I think Tony Visconti, the, the producer, used. Yeah. Like, just a little epitaph he used, you know, ah, someone else. Oh, okay. And so, but was going to put it in there, and he decided to change it, which is probably a good thing, because I couldn't play that album around the kids. So, no. just for that. Oh, or around thanks, anybody, probably. really. That's for terrible. For changing to somebody fetch a priest. He probably would have gotten a lot of, you know, he would have gotten a lot of grief over that one. Oh, yeah. Anyway, that's a great song. I'm giving that a one-one. Okay, so And then the last single is Breaking Glass, which is was originally on low, um, live version from stage it was released as a single in 1978 they notably like doubled the length of the song okay it's, the song is under two minutes on the on the original oh, studio wow. album that's short. It's about three minutes long on on the live album it's decent but not amazing i'm giving it a half a point all right so jake <laughs> lay, <laughs> lay on us whatever you ended up with all right now. well you get it all figured out i yeah uh, i just wanted to say that i had one two three four five six seven eight i had nine things that i scored <laughs> Which, for, okay. as we've as we've alluded to, like that's Bowie territory. That's <laughs> Dylan usually like puts something out and it either lands or it thuds and that's it. But uh, uh-huh, that's it. I ended up after all that with a plus point five here. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. <laughs> it almost totally there was evened a lot out. Back and forth on that year. Oh man, so much the back and forth. Guys, the terrifying love. Totally, yeah. The creamy middles. Oh, so. All right, creamy. well, Bowie, unsurprisingly, bested that. Since he had all, not, all not, positives across the board. Yeah, no he did have all positives. You're right. So, but we got a managed a five on that one. Oh, that's a that's a nice year. That's a nice year. I feel like well, a five is 70s. like a delineation for a really do nice much year. Wrong in the seventies. Yep. Although you know, I do have to say, like, if you wanted to be a better father and husband, moving to Berlin and hanging out with Iggy Pop, is that a way to do that? I guess if you're well, apparently what it was for him. He wasn't trying to be a better husband. He was trying to get away from his wife. Oh, <laughs> oh I see. No, that, that was that was beyond safe. And they finally officially divorced in 1980, I believe. But oh, it was, wow. it they was dragged, done by about 75, They dragged that on a long time. No, it was a good thing for him to do. He cleaned up. I mean, he was still doing some drinking. We got mixed in there, but he got right. on himself off of cocaine. And good for him. Except with a couple brief fall baths, he did really never he never got hooked again. He definitely never got hooked again. So, good for Way him. Way to go. Way to go. Way to I go. I got custody of his son a couple years later, you know, and then the full custody and everything. Oh, so, amazing. Yeah, and Iggy Pop got clean too, apparently, it sounds like. I don't know if he, you know, ever dipped back in or not. I have no idea. I don't know enough he about looks, Iggy Pop's He looks like he did all the drugs at some point. Oh, yeah. He's oh, like a leather yeah. He's well, like a leather well, he was bag. was pretty much just cocaine. I think Iggy Pop was all of the rest yeah. of the drugs. Yeah, I think heroin figured pretty significantly. Yeah, I think so too. And Bowie never really got into that stuff. No. He tried it, sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we are. This is another victory year for Bowie. For yeah, the 70s. good it's year. It's hard to beat Bowie in the seventies. I know. It's I'm gonna, like Bowie's seventies are like I don't know, Dylan's sixties or something. Yep, it's just, true. Just, how really, just almost impossible to beat. Dylan him, so. has a fighter's chance in seventy-five, but that's it. I think that's the only. Yeah, seventy-five year. is the one year where I'm not sure Bowie will pull it off. We'll I don't think he can. But we we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we're What's following next? Up this year with a jump ahead to two thousand two. Woo, 2002. Yeah, so yeah, that'll be a little bit different. We were very alive in 2002. Yeah, we were. I remember 2002. Yeah, me I too. I was a legal adult in 2002. Yep, I was of drinking age in 2002. Oh, man. Uh-oh. <laughs> I just did a lot of cocaine in 2002. <laughs> uh, no, you didn't. No, I didn't. That's no, not true. No, you didn't. All right, with that, 
listeners, brave listeners, remember, subscribe and like and do all the kind of annoying stuff that everyone says on their podcast to make you do it. Just do, do, it. It. do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Give us positive reviews in different places. Spotify and iTunes in particular. Yeah. And read our cool blog posts and stuff at BowieVersusDylan.com. Do it. And with that, I'm Charlie and I like Bowie. And I'm Jake, and I'm just letting you all know to, baby, stop crying, stop crying, stop crying, stop crying. 52 more times. I get you up 50 times for a fade out of this part. Stop crying, stop crying. Stop crying, stop crying, stop crying. Stop crying, baby, baby, please, stop crying, stop crying. Stop crying, keep going, stop crying. Stop crying, I'm tired of it. I love Dylan, bye.